Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and with today being April 10th, we are just 17 days away, or a little over two weeks away, until the start of the 2023 NFL Draft, round one in Kansas City. So with that, Brooke, visits are in full swing, players coming into Washington, players at now, we got the local day tomorrow on April 11th. So today, I want to take you guys into a little bit of a peel the layers back on the players that have been in Washington or will visit Washington here this week and in the next few weeks to follow again as we lead up to Kansas City. And again, top 30s are important. You can have as many Zooms, you can have calls, whatever you want to have. But when you get to visits, when you're visiting a facility, there is legitimate interest there. And on the last episode, when I talked to, two episodes ago, excuse me, when I talked about Marvin Overshone and Antonio Maffi and the visits, those guys coming into Washington, that is tangible interest. So a lot of names to talk about, but I want to give you guys a little bit of a deeper dive into not just the names of the players that you're seeing or what school they went to, but how they would fit in Washington, whether they're working under Eric Bieniemy in the offense or under Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera on defense. And it starts at the top, and that is with Hendon Hookers reported to visiting Washington on a top 30 visit. And for me with Hendon, look, he is my QB4 in this class. He's behind Bryce Young from Alabama, CJ Stroud from Ohio State, Anthony Richardson from Florida. I have him in front of Will Levis from Kentucky. And depends on who you talk to, he could be QB3, potentially QB2 on some boards. Depends who you talk to in this industry. But for me, he is QB4. But when I look specifically into the window with Washington, taking Hendon Hooker, you're most likely going to have to spend a top 40. That is the floor. Is He's going to be in the top 40 picks. Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee. And for me, with Washington and the needs that they have at corner, whether you want to get a guard, a tackle, linebacker, tight end, it doesn't make much sense if they draft Hendon Hooker, whether it's in the first round at 16 or they potentially move up or they trade back into the back end of the first round to grab him. We saw that years ago when they traded back in to grab Montez Sweat out of Mississippi State after drafting Dwayne Haskins out of Ohio State. But for me, and I look at this offense, and you guys know my thoughts on Sam Howell, and I do believe he deserves the opportunity to 
lead this offense this fall, and you got your backup in the building in Jacoby Brissett to where not only he will push Sam Howell, but he can also be that veteran shoulder to lean on in meetings, and that will help Sam. But if you bring a guy like Hendon in the building to where you really have three guys that now you want to prepare to potentially start, right? Because we know things work in Washington to where we can look at Sam and Jacoby and say, you know, these are the two guys we're moving forward for 17 games or more in 2023, We know injuries, things happen, right? Injuries are part of the game, but the quarterback position in Washington, we cannot sit here and say that it's going to be Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett, one of the two guys for every single game moving into 2023, because that's just not what we've been able to have in dating back to the history for the Burgundy and Gold. But for Hendon Hoger specifically, even though I do like him, and even though I know a lot of you guys out there watched him closely at Virginia Tech, where it was ugly at times, and then going to Tennessee and moving up a level from the ACC, going to the SEC, and was really the leader in Heisman voting in November before he tore his ACL. Now, that is something that a lot of teams have concerns about. Obviously, the age is something as well. But his torn ACL in November, from what I've heard talking to Hendon throughout this process, is he's going to be ready to go for rookie minicamp, training camp in the summer, and obviously week one moving in 2023. Whether that's in Washington or whether that's somewhere else. But more so, that's just Washington doing their due diligence at the quarterback position in this class because, look, Eric Bieniemy wasn't in the building when they drafted Sam Howell last year. He wasn't in the building when they drafted any of the guys on offense. So it's thrown a wrench into this whole offensive process, specifically of where they're going to value picks. However, Quarterback position is something that Washington has not been able to figure out for a long, long time. And with Hendon coming into town, I know he's going to be really impressive in meetings. He's going to have give positive reports on his injury and how the knee's feeling. He's going to be rearing to go. But that is just more so for me, doing their due diligence on the quarterback position because they do have two guys in the building that can lead the offense this fall and lead it well. So Moving from Hendon, I want to talk about Brian Branch. I reported that on Twitter last week that he visited Washington along with Osiris Torrance from Florida, but we'll start with Brian Branch. And I love Brian Branch's game. I just don't know where it would fit with Washington defensively because of what he hangs his hat on, and that is versatility. But then I look at Washington's defensive secondary, and you have a lot of guys that do a lot of a lot of similar things to what Brian does. Now, I think Brian's overall a better player than a Derek Forrest or Jeremy Reeves or even a versatile player like Klee Hudson, or you could even compare him to what Percy Butler will do this fall where he's going to get some more snaps because Bobby McCain is now gone. But you still have Cam Curl. He likes to play in the box a little bit. He can play high. All those guys do a lot of different things, but specifically with Derek Forrest to where he can come down and play in the box. He can play at the line of scrimmage. He can play in press man over a tight end. He can buzz out on running backs. They want to run a real route out of the out of the backfield. Excuse me. Brian Branch is someone that can, again, align at the nickel. He can play some safety. He can live in the box. He's physical in the run game. Look, I love his game. I just don't know. Even though Washington needs a corner, I would not thrust Brian Branch out to the perimeter all day long. That's not where he wore his, you know, he's, he hung his hat for the Crimson Tide. We know the pipeline from Tuscaloosa to Washington is fruitful almost seemingly every year. Remember last year, they took another two guys from Bama and Phil Mathis in the second round, and then took Brian Robinson in the third round, two guys from Bama. So would it be surprising if they took another guy from Bama? 
it just, I don't think it should be Brian Branch. Even though, again, ladies and gentlemen, I really do like his game. I love that he's versatile. He's a chess piece on defense. I just think Washington has that in their building right now. And whether, and, and here's the thing too, is if you want to have Brian Branch live at nickel and be your CB1B at nickel, then maybe you take him. Because if he can live there, he can live there. And I'm taking him over Danny Johnson. Love Danny. But I'm taking him over over Danny every single day of the week. So maybe that's a fit there. But then you're relying on Kendall Fuller. You're going to keep him on the outside. Along with Benjamin St. Juice on the other side. And Cameron Dantzler as that rotational CB3. CB4. So right now, I just... I, I love the player. I've said that a lot. But with this defense, the players that they have there, where he'd be at nickel, I think a perimeter corner at 16. I've mentioned Deontay Banks, Joey Porter Jr. If Christian Gonzalez potentially slips to 16, I, I do not see that happening. But hey, anything can happen on draft day. I want you guys to understand that these teams still do not know what they're going to do on draft day. So anything can happen. Any player can slip or fall. A lot of stuff is going to happen on draft day that we're not expecting. And it happens every single year. But I'm not the biggest proponent of playing hypotheticals, but for me, I want a perimeter CB1. Again, the names I just mentioned, you can talk about Julius Brents, Devin Weatherspoon from Illinois, a lot of different names that I would rather have and prioritize over a nickel corner that provides some of that versatility that I think Washington already has in that secondary. So from Brian, Osiris Torrance, big boy out of Florida, transferred from Louisiana Lafayette, followed head coach Billy Napier from the Raging Cajuns, to the Florida Gators in Gainesville. And I'll just start by saying I'm not the biggest fan of Osiris Torrance. And the reason why I say that is when I look at his frame and I see that he has knocked knees. And what I mean by that, if you watch him and you look at him, his legs, his knees are go inward and then up to his thighs. And for that, that shows me that he has limited mobility left and right, laterally. And when you look at the NFL and the interior guys that he's facing and guys that he work every day against... In practice, if he came to the Commanders and Deron Payne and John Allen, I think he would have some issues with that, moving into the highest level of the game and potentially being a guy that whether you want to take him at 16 or hope he's there in the second round, that he is just somebody that has some ways to go as far as his mobility and flexibility in that lower half because Washington with Eric Biennemi is going to do a lot of different things and what they ask from their front five. It's not just going to be all gap. It's not going to be power downhill. I, you know, some eye formation or some pistol running right at you. We can do that, but he's going to do some things where he's going to ask guards to pull and ask tackles to pull and do a lot of different things with the tight ends running up the gut or running on the outside to seal defensive ends. There's a lot of different things that he's going to ask the offensive line to do. And I think of Osiris Torrance as a downhill, powerful, linear plane type of offensive guard to where I want him moving north-south and very limited east to west. Now, is he strong? Does he have a good anchor, really good hands, punches with power? Yes. All of that stuff, he checks the boxes. But the lateral agility is something that scares me and the flexibility in the lower half to where he reminds me a little bit of Sadiq Charles coming out of LSU and that functional athleticism and the profile that he has along the front five. So, Osiris was in the building. I'm sure he did well with meetings. I've had a chance to talk to Osiris a few times during this process. A really good kid. Was good down at the Senior Bowl. Again, he's a really good dude. But 
We're trying to build a Super Bowl roster. And right now with the guards that you have, whether Sam Cosby's going to play right guard, Andrew Norwell's at left guard. You have some depth there with Chris Paul, obviously. Nick Gates can some, provide you some versatility along the interior if you want to play Chase Roulier at center. If he, if he doesn't win the battle, then you put Nick Gates at center. Can Chase play some guard? So some of that versatility is there already along the front five. And I want guys that can move east to west. And I just don't see that a ton. I wanted to see it more from Osiris Torrance out of Florida. So next, Jatavis Martin, uh, nickel corner out of Illinois. So a nickel here is becoming a little bit of a popular selection, right? Popular, some guys that, that can play it a lot and have played it in college. So Jartavis was out of Illinois, a loaded Illinois secondary. Devin, Devin Witherspoon, Sidney Brown, the safety is going to be taken most likely the back end of day two, early day three. He was good down in the senior bowl. And Jartavis was in Mobile as well. And he's had a lot of interest during this pre-draft process. And I think he's one of the more underrated corners in this class. And I think He's different from Brian Branch, as I just mentioned how versatile he is. Jartavis will live at the nickel. And I think he does remind me a little bit of Kendall coming out of Virginia Tech just because of how good his feet are and how physical he was in his upper half with his hands and rerouting receivers and not allowing guys to get those free releases. And five yards into his route, you know, he's stacking you and he's be, he's able to marionette you like a puppet, whether you want to break inside, you want to break outside, you want to break back to the quarterback or... You want to stick that foot in the ground and accelerate up to fifth gear within the next five yards and go over the top. So, Jortavis Martin, again, nickel corner out of Illinois. Like his game, but he's going to be most likely a, a early day three pick. We will see. Maybe that's a depth selection Washington wants to add there. Again, Danny Johnson, you expect him to play all 17 games. You need some pop there, right? Cameron Dancer's new in the building, but it's still Kendall and Benjamin on the outside. We've talked about the corner position for a long time, whether it's nickel, whether it's outside, they're going to need guys that can compete. So again, Jartavis Martin from Illinois, expected visit to Washington. From there, Emmanuel Forbes, corner from Mississippi State, is expected to visit in the coming weeks. Look, the ball hawk specialist, the premier ball hawk in this class. Now you you look him up right now as we're talking, you're going to look at his weight about 165. He's not going to play probably at 165. He may play at 160, low 162. Look, extremely light, but reminds me a lot of Samari Roll coming out of school years ago and played for the Titans. Extremely productive outside. Again, ball hawk, ball hawk, ball hawk. There's no one even close to Emmanuel Forbes as far as getting the ball back and creating that turnover margin for your defense and getting the ball back to an offense this year where we expect to score more than 19 points a game, what they had in 2022, which was unacceptable. It's ridiculously bad, but this year we have expectations on offense. You got to get the ball as much in the hands of Sam Howell, Jacoby Brissett, whoever is under center for the Burgundy and goal this year. But I expect it to be Sam Howell, and I expect this offense to be much, much better, obviously, with Eric Bieniemy and his fingerprints on this unit. But Emmanuel Forbes on the outside, when you look at his weight, you're going to say, ah, he's going to be attacked in the run game. He doesn't want to He doesn't want to tackle on the outside. Again, defenses want to play you inside out. So they want to force corners to tackle, and they want to force linebackers to cover. That's why you see a lot of the Jamin Davises, right, getting drafted. The guys that can cover and that can play in the run downhill and those A and B gaps. But Emmanuel Forbes is a guy that will get the ball back to your offense and then you turn on the film and watch him attack in the run game. Is he going to be attacked at the next level because he is 160? Guys are going to run to his side? Absolutely. And you can 
put a guy like a think of the of the Cam Simpsons of the world, the Kelvin Harmons of the world. Those guys are you can do one on one and just have him block him and push him back four or five yards uh, off the line of scrimmage. He can do he, he's he's gonna have trouble with that at the next level. But I love his physicality and willingness to come downhill when he's able to get off and shed those blocks on the perimeter. But you watch him in space, you watch his ability to go up and high point the football, play through the hands of the receiver, whether he's playing zone, whether he's five to seven yards off, which we've seen Jack Del Rio do a ton in these last few years, or you want to play him in man and have a mirror guy 10, 15 yards down the field. He can do a lot of that for you. I like Emmanuel Forbes' game. Please don't just look at the size and disregard him as a guy that may be a CB1 to CB2 at the next level. Washington flat out needs better ball players on the perimeter to counter these pass happy offenses, not just in the NFC East, but in the NFC as a whole. And of course, the NFL, if they ever want to reach that pinnacle and win in February down the line. So Emmanuel Forbes, Mississippi State, I love his game. Again, get the ball back for your offense. He is someone that is fantastic and the premier ball hawk in this class. So when you look at Emmanuel Forbes on draft day, whether he ends up in the Burgundy Gold or somewhere else, just think ball hawk because the kid is elite and he is special with the ball in the air and getting it back for the offense. So from there, I'm going to talk about DJ Turner from Michigan, the fastest guy at the NFL Combine in the four twos. But I love DJ's game and the fact that he plays with a physical brand of football that I love. Not the biggest guy in the world, about 5'11", 200 pounds. He and freshman Will Johnson were really fun to watch for the Wolverines. And Will Johnson is a name to know as you move into the 2025 NFL draft. He's a stud corner, was the number one recruit out of Michigan coming out last year in the state of Michigan, excuse me. And then obviously went to the Wolverines and stayed home. And this is somebody that is is fantastic. So I named the note down the line. But with DJ, I, you turn on the tape and some of these smaller corners, again, you kind of get into the the aura, the narrative that they don't like to play physical. And I think DJ, when you watch him in space, especially if you're asking him to shed on the outside and blow up a, a running back's ankles in the flatter areas of the line of scrimmage, he can do that for you. Or he's coming downhill on a crossing route and sitting in zone, just sitting on it, watching him come across the field and light you up across the middle. He can do that too, where his physicality almost watch, you see him almost develop as a safety. You watch him just move in space. His hips, his feet, his eyes, everything is tied together. And then you add on top of that the speed and the not just long speed, but the quickness to work up to that 4-2 speed within 5-10 yards, right? It doesn't take you 20-25 yards and then you accelerate and then you you can't get out of that, right? You got to, someone breaks off a route, it takes you 5 yards to recover, he sticks that foot in the ground. You want to ask him to click and close. You ask him to T-step and come towards back towards the receiver, make a play in the football. He can do that for you too. And the biggest thing is we all know the old, right? If he's even, he's what? He's even, he's leaving on the outside. Well, you got a guy that can run 4-2 and work up to it quickly. You ain't leaving, DJ Turner. So that's a little bit of an intangible thing that he has in his game. We know there's a lot of burners and the NFL level, the one to just flat out run nine routes sometimes and work past you and work over top of the safety and have a quarterback drop it in 50 yards downfield. But when you have the coverage ability, both in man and in zone, and there's the flat out athletic profile to run with guys, to be physical with guys down the field, work through the hands of receivers at the catch point, whether you ask him to play above the rim, he's explosive in his lower half, all of those things line up. So DJ Turner from Michigan isn't the cleanest prospect in this class. He's not the most 
fluid of man or zone corners, but he's got a lot of things to like on the outside. And he comes into this Washington defense to where he most likely would be that CB2, to where he would compete his tail off with Kendall Fuller to start opposite of Benjamin St. Juice and allow Kendall to either play on the outside or play inside, that positional versatility that I want to see some more of from him. Because again, folks, Coming out of Virginia Tech, Kendall was best at nickel. In Kansas City, he was best at nickel. And then playing some outside a little bit and coming to Washington, living on the perimeter, that's not where he's best. And even though last year, you guys know my thoughts on Kendall Fuller. I've said it during every single post-game recap. Some days were good, some days were bad. It just depends on what day it is and receivers that he's facing. Whether he's facing Amon or St. Brown and getting lit up, or he's facing um, Isaiah Hodgkins or Darius Slayton or Sterling Shepard with the Giants to where he can use that physicality to where he's not being overpowered on the perimeter, being not being able to play above the rim because he's not uber explosive. It just depends on what day and what matchup Kendall Fuller has. I still think he's got some juice in the tank. I just want to see him play more a little bit inside to where he is best. So again, DJ Turner from Michigan, Manuel Forbes from Mississippi State, Jardavis Martin, Nickel, Brian Branch from Alabama, a lot of corners been making their way into Washington over these last few weeks and the weeks to come. Of course, we know that that is a position that is massive priority for this group heading into April. The final guy I want to talk about before we get into a couple guys for the local day tomorrow is Steve Avila, who's expected to visit this week, and that is a guard from TCU. I love Steve's game. You turn on the film, massive man, got the high shoulder pads, neck roll, looks like somebody out of the 1980s. Really, really impressive young man, a really good kid that you want in your in your locker room and a leader along the front five and within the lungs of your offense for a long time. I like Steve personally more than Osiris Torrance just because of what he was asked to do at TCU, his ability to move and his ability to displace three techs at 305 pounds or 315, 20 pounds, and no matter their athletic profile that he's facing. Consistently wins with leverage, got a really good anchor and pass pro. You want to sling it around. You watched TCU's offense last year, led by Max Duggan. Look, they went to the college football championship, right, against Georgia. And obviously it didn't turn out for them well in that game, but you just watch his ability to drop that backside and pass pro, and you want to sling it around, you can sling it around. You want to give it to Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson a combined 35 times a game? Look, we can do that too. So I love him on that linear plane, as I mentioned with Osiris Torrance, but I also love his ability to pull and his ability to ID stunts and blitzers as well, as we know a lot of defensive fronts like to do at the NFL level, and the Brits and blitzing those linebackers, ask him to pick up a, an edge guy at five tech that he could align at wide nine outside the tight end, scoot into five tech. I mean, the projection changed a little bit. Maybe a linebacker steps up. He's going to communicate along the front five, whether he's at left guard and communicating the left tackle or the center, or he's at right guard and he's talking to the center or the right tackle. And he's also got some center versatility as well. So a, a guy that can play all three positions along your interior, extremely cerebral athlete, really good kid as, kid, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago. Just a really clean prospect and someone that has a throwback feel to his game and someone you want along your front five to just bowl over people and do a lot of the checks off, a lot of those boxes that you want in a modern day offensive card. So that is Steve Avila from TCU. So from there, want to get to a couple of the guys that have uh, already confirmed they're going to be at the local day. So that is tomorrow, 
Tuesday, April 11th. Um, Lachlan Pitts, first off, tight end from William & Mary, someone that's had a, a lot of interest um, from teams during this pre-draft process. Big boy um, is a wide tight end. I want you guys to think more of the Cole Turner and John Bates type of build, a really good blocker as well. Um, again, small school kid out of William & Mary, projected right now as a UDFA or, if anything, a late round seven pick. But someone that's going to get an opportunity, obviously coming up from Williamsburg, an opportunity to compete in front of this offensive coaching staff. Again, that is brand new in the building. So Lachlan Pitts, tight end from William & Mary, will be there tomorrow. And then Brian Cobbs from Utah State. Brian is a local guy. He not just obviously played at Maryland before transferring out to play Utah State, but he's from Alexandria and played at Hayfield and was dominant for the Hawks during his time in high school. I know that specifically because a lot of friends that are friends with Brian Cobbs. I was in the same district in high school of Brian. I was at Mount Vernon. He was at Hayfield. So very familiar with Brian Cobbs and watching him progress, going to the Terrapins and then going to Utah State where he got a ton of targets and that offense from Logan Bonner, and they had some guys at Justin McGriff on the outside for the Aggies out there in Utah. So different from Maryland to where, obviously, we know with Maryland had a lot of talent. A lot of guys coming into this draft class were Kim Jarrett, Dante Demas, guys like Jay Sean Jones. A lot of guys from Maryland, and that just didn't work out for Brian this fall. Excuse me, even Jacob Copeland from Maryland. Can't leave out Jacob. Um, he's probably going to be drafted late on day three this year. Um, guy that's going to get an opportunity, but... For, for Brian coming in to get an opportunity, again, not a local guy in relativity to college, but again, played at Maryland and is from Alexandria, 25-minute drive to Ashburn is somebody as a receiver is going to get some opportunities and someone that's going to be most likely a UDFA to come in and compete his tail off for snaps. And some of these guys, you know, it's easy being a top 100 pick, top 120, where you're coming in and your roster spot is solidified and production is expected and you got expectations. But for some of these guys like Lachlan and like Brian, they're going to get an opportunity tomorrow is someone that, look, you root for guys like that. You do. Stories happen every single year as far as working into snaps. And I think if a guy even like, Lance McCutcheon, a couple years ago with the Rams, out of Montana State, came out of nowhere, had some success. So those are always the best stories of the offseason. You root for guys to get opportunities. So tomorrow, Washington's local day, Tuesday, April 11th. I'm sure that you guys will see some coverage on Twitter. I'll have some updates for you as well. If you don't follow me on Twitter already, underscore Ryan Fowler, you can shoot me a follow there. But that's going to do it for today's podcast. I hope you guys enjoy. Just get a little bit of a deeper look, peel the layers back on the players that have visited Washington and how they fit into the offense and defense because guys visits are ramping up and they're going to die down here soon as we get closer and closer to April, excuse me, to April 27th, which is just a couple weeks away. It's crazy to think the draft is just a couple weeks away, but look, look, I know you guys are excited. It's the best time of the year. These guys, I know a lot of these players are nervous. They're excited. They're taking zoom calls or meeting virtually with positional coaches. Some positional coaches are flying out to them, meeting with them. They're taking visits. Look, Take a deep breath. It's a lot, right? We're talking about a lot of these prospects. There's a lot to think about every single day. Washington has a nice allotment of picks in their back pocket. It's going to be an exciting process. Enjoy this process. I will take you through every step of the way as we have for the last few months. Make sure you keep it locked here to Commanding the Huddle. I have an episode out for you guys next Monday where it will be just 10 days away from Kansas City. But again, always appreciate your time around Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. Again, you don't follow me already. You can shoot me a follow on Twitter, underscore 
Ryan Fowler. Hope you guys had a great weekend. Hope you guys had a great Easter Sunday and the whole Easter weekend. We're just a little over two weeks away from the NFL draft. I know you guys are getting excited. I'm getting excited as well. I will talk to you next Monday again. I always appreciate you guys' time. I am Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.